0: The other thing, 100% of the people said, be there, be there. You don't have to do anything. You can't fix it. So if we've taken that, the, we've taken the stress off of you. There's nothing you can do and say that's going to fix it, okay? So don't be looking for the perfect words. Don't be looking for the perfect thing because there is none. It does not exist. But that's not what people need. People just need you to be there, just to be there, just to show up for them. Thank you for stopping by my podcast,
1: Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, How could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. Have you ever felt inadequate when trying to express your care and concern to someone who is grieving? If so, my guest Sherry Dunleavy is going to shed some light on what to say and what not to say, as well as what to do and what not to do. Plus, along the way, Sherry gives us additional insight that's going to help if you're facing a season of loss and uncertainty yourself. Something I always like to point out is that grief is not limited to losing a loved one. Anytime we're separated from that which we hold near and dear to our hearts, it demands a grieving process. When part of our life is torn away, we're in need of an honest evaluation of how this tragedy impacts our life and what resources do we need to engage in order to move toward full healing. Sherry has a background in television as a news anchor, a radio talk show host, and she is currently a podcast host, as well as a grief coach. And we can add author to that because she's published a book titled, Can I Help? Sherry wrote this book because she has a deep compassion for those who are in a season of grief. As a grief coach, her focus is on helping the grieving to process their pain. So based on the knowledge and the insight that Sherry has gained as a grief coach, we push out this topic of grief to talk about how we can avoid adding extra stress and demands on our loved ones who are struggling with deep pain and even deeper questions. When someone is faced with the uncertainty of life, the struggle to understand their circumstance is fertile ground for isolation, confusion, and to be quite honest, awkwardness. It's the awkwardness that causes us to distance ourselves from our loved one or to say things that are considered blanket statements. And when those blanket statements are said, everyone knows it's just a substitute for I don't know what to say. Sherry's book, Can I Help?, will give you the confidence to feel more at ease with the topic of grief. And as you implement and practice Sherry's advice, you become more comfortable to share space with someone who's grappling with the reality of their old life versus the life they are forced to now know. There is a power in having confidence for this topic because it removes barriers and lets an aching heart know that they're seen, heard, cared for. When you're in pain, knowing that you're not alone is powerful enough to give people hope for one more day, a better tomorrow. The bottom line is neither the person who is suffering nor the person who desperately wants to help really has all the answers. Every situation is unique to the person and the truth is, the broken-hearted can't articulate what they need in the moment and the one who desires to be there for their loved one feels helpless. If they both know anything, It's it's that neither one can reach the pain because neither one can change the devastating reality of loss. Sherry makes a clear distinction which I felt was truly foundational to having the courage to reach out to someone who needs a kind word. And that is to remember it's not about you. And we partnered that portion of the conversation with another key truth Sherry pointed out. The person who wants to help fix it, it's not their job to fix it. They can't fix it. To me, that takes a huge weight off and it allows the caregiver, not in a medical sense, but rather in the context of relationship, to simply show up, sit quietly if necessary, and allow their loved one to find their way through the grief. If you've ever felt helpless, confused, or awkward when it comes to navigating grief, then listen in to see how you can remove typical barriers and create a connection of support that brings peace and invites healing. Sherry, thank you so much for your courage to have this conversation about grief, because so many are not comfortable with talking about death. And I believe that talking about grief is one of the ways that we can make the subject more approachable in an everyday kind of way, because death is something that we all have to deal with. Specifically, our conversation today is geared toward helping people navigate the holidays by knowing what to say and
0: what not to say to those who are in a season of grief. So thank you and welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm I'm excited to talk about this. And something you alluded to earlier, Sherry, is that, you know, um, it's not something that we like to talk about. And as a result of not liking to talk about it, we tend to not talk about it. And when we don't talk about it, that's why we feel so awkward when it happens to someone um, we know, we love, we care for, and then we feel inadequate because we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do. I always say the only way that you can get better at it is to be vulnerable enough to be bad at it at first. (laughs) Vulnerable. That's a scary word. No one wants to be vulnerable, but um, it's something that to live an authentic life, I think you have to be. And um, that's kind of what I'm working on in my journey is living an authentic life and talking about the uncomfortable. Um, Once you start talking about the uncomfortable, it's amazing how you can find great comfort in it and from it. And I really feel like God has laid it upon my heart that because I am a public speaker, I was a television news anchor in a former life, a radio talk host in a former life, a current podcast host. And this is how I'm using my gifts, talents, and abilities is to talk about the things that people are uncomfortable talking about it and hoping to encourage them To practice it because we live in a world where there are so many people hurting on so many different levels and we can't be a comfort to one another if we're standing back in the background.
1: Do you find that when you're vulnerable, you're more authentic and therefore you can connect with
0: people better? Absolutely. And I mean, you can tell some people just aren't comfortable with it and I have to go with their comfort level, but it still doesn't stop me from telling them that, you know, I'm thinking of them, I'm praying for them and I'll be here for them if, if they would like that.
1: Speaking of your credentials or your past, you know, history and and bringing you to the current, you're the founder of the Graduating Grief Academy and you're Mm -hmm. the host of the Graduating Grief Academy podcast. And I initially found you through your Facebook page, graduating grief, living and loving your life after loss. So you've created a wonderful source of information and encouragement for those who find themselves in a place of loss and uncertainty. But what has caused you to pull up to this table, if you will, to have the conversation about grief and loss? What's brought you here?
0: I guess it was the death of my son back in 1999. I was on TV at the time And I was pregnant with my second child and had complications. And so there were periods of time where I was off the air because I had a high risk pregnancy. And then once my son was born, he was in the NICU. And so I was on an extended leave and then eventually he died and I was living this life very publicly which was very challenging in of itself. And and we were lifted up and we were loved through this and carried through this by so many people. And what I found during that time, and this is gonna be a long story, but some of the people that we thought would be there for us weren't. And some of the people that we never even knew before became our angels here on earth and it still brings tears to my eyes but those are usually the people that have have been through something similar they know that you need that love and support and so as it happened three of the people that were closest to my husband and I just kind of disappeared and dropped out of our lives and and that was very hurtful but we you know we moved through and we 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 live life and tried to do our best to heal from that. But then six years later, one of those people called me up out of the blue. They, I had moved to another state. This was prior to Facebook. They somehow found me because I had gone off the air. I had left my career. They somehow connected with me and they I was. they said, I was thinking about you and I just wanted to, you know, touch base and see how you were doing. And it was like, as if no time had passed prior to my son dying. (laughs) Like, I want to talk to the person that I knew before your son died. So to backtrack a little bit, this was a person that I was very, very, very close to. And after my son died, when she called, I thought she was going to say, I have a sitter, hold tight, I'll be there, I'll be there. And instead, she said, I can't handle this, I'm sorry. And then we hung up and I never heard from her again. So to get this call six years later, right? And just like, hey, what's going on? I've been thinking about, and I'm thinking, we don't get to do this. <laughs> you know, like you gave up that, right? I, I, that's just how I felt. I'm glad that it was six years. I'm glad that God left me with, instead of a feeling of anger or bitterness, he left me with a curiosity. And the curiosity was, what was that about? what was that about? How could people who were so close to you and when you needed them the very most in your life, right? How could they just desert you? What was that about? And that was the question that I chewed upon. And I would go into bookstores and I would go online and I was always looking, I kept thinking, if there was just something out there to help people that didn't know what to do or say, wouldn't that be great? And I kept getting this message. I I don't think I really heard it as a voice, but I knew it to be a truth. And it said to me, Sherry, if you want such a resource, you're going to have to be the one to create it. And that scared me because I wrote news copy, but I never wrote a book, right? And I, who was I? I just lost a child. Who was I to tell people what they need? But what I found was, and I always tell people this, Sherry, the difference between a good idea and a calling is that God never stops calling, Mm -hmm. and it just never left me until I said, "Okay, I'll do it." And so it was a very long process because I actually wrote the book and then said, "Okay, God, I put, I, I did it." I wrote it. It's good. And then I put it on a shelf because I didn't know what to do next. (laughs) Through a whole different series of events, which, you know, I won't go into now. I finally took that step again, like five years after I had written the book. And then I zhuzhed it up a little bit. Honestly, the message that I want to tell people is that if you are obedient, you don't have to know what you're doing. You just have to be willing to do it and God will provide the next step for you. So he put someone in my path that happened to be a best New York Times bestselling author who had written like three or four of the chicken soup for the soul books. And she said, Oh my gosh, I would love to help you with your book, but I just closed that business down but my friend who wrote five of the chicken soup for the soul books is still doing this so i sent it off to her and she fell in love with the book and she said yes i'll be your editor and she edited it for me and then she even pitched it to her you know publisher and although they didn't take it because at the time i wasn't well established right But she said, I don't care that they didn't publish you. This is what we're going to do. And this is who we're going to go to so we can self-publish this because this book needs to be out there. And so basically... I wrote, how can I help your go-to guide for helping loved ones through life's difficulties? So that's how it all started. I know that's a very long answer, but that is how this all started. This was written to help people that don't know what to do, that don't know what to say, are afraid they're going to say the wrong thing, are too afraid because someone they know is hurting so bad and it scares them to death. Like you're frozen in fear. And so you just step back, you know, this provides you with what you need to know to step out in love. Whether it's death, whether it's divorce, whether it's, you know, someone who's lost their job, whether it's someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer, because I interviewed people that have gone through all of these things and they gave me the answers that helped them the most. So I always say these are the real experts because these are the people that have walked through the fire and have gotten to the other side thanks to the loving support of friends and family. So wouldn't you want to know what they did that helped them get there, right? Yes. And so there's so many different answers that people supplied that there's definitely something that you can pick that you can do the next time you're faced with this, and someone that you love and care about is suffering. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it for the person that wants to help the grieving person, right? But when I would go out to talks, a lot of grieving people were needing help. And so at that time I went through a grief coach 13 years after my son died I hired a grief coach I had never even knew such a thing existed and once I hired a grief coach it was like living my life in sepia tones like I was getting through I was very blessed I was okay but there was just this underlying current of grief and once I went through a grief coach my life returned to full color and I thought I wanted to offer that to other people. I want people to know that I don't know why this happened. And I think that when we keep asking God, why, 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 that keeps us stuck in a cycle of grief. I don't know the answer. And really, let's think about it. Would there ever be any answer that would be good enough to say, oh, I get it now. I'm glad you took him you know, know, because we don't have a context or an input or an authority no. for his
1: answer. And if the truth be told, all of our whys are, I don't know, I can't say the cover, but it's what we really want is our loved one back.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we're not going to have that, right? So it's not going to change anything. And so asking why is like the circular perpetual motion that keeps you in a state of pain and suffering. So I always tell people, You can graduate from the pain and suffering of your grief and live a life that you love living again. And I know this to be true because I'm living proof. I I am living proof. And if I can do it, anyone can do it, but you have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing to move past the why and ask God, what now? What now? What do you want from me now? What can I do now? And so this is where I feel... God's led me to to say, you know, Sherry, this is a space I want you in. It's not a glamorous space. It's not it's it's a hard space. It is full of triggers, but for some reason I am able to do it. And when I help people through my course called My Healing Journey, it's it's grief completion, life reorganization. And I see the light return to their eyes and to their life. I, I can't even tell you what a feeling that is. Life returns to someone because you know what? When someone, especially with a death or even a divorce, we've seen people get bitter, really, really bitter, really angry, really hurt, become the victim. And I have to say, it's very easy to be the victim because there's a payoff to it. You get the, oh, poor, I don't know how you survived the loss of your son. Oh my gosh, that's... And there is this people at the beginning really come to your aid, but then, you know, like they're tired of it. It's time for you to get back to life. And then you think how heartless they are because they don't understand, you know? So there's this bitterness that starts to grow in you. But if you look at this... As a way of breaking open to a new way of living and really seeing that there can be transformation, there can be growth, there can be, what, beauty from these ashes, if we are willing to go there. The problem is, a lot of us don't want to go there. And again, that goes back to the fear. So a minute ago, you
1: kind of uh, alluded to some examples, because you and I both agree that the that grief covers a broad <laughs> ground, a lot of ground, mm-hmm. because there are many types of deaths. And can you share your thoughts on the types of deaths that people should grieve? What are some things that people should take the time to grieve when they're separated from?
0: Them? Well, in my in one episode of my podcast, I do an interview with a grief expert, Dr. Phyllis Kaminsky, and she gave this definition of grief as it's the feelings that the emotions that we feel when we lose someone or something that we love. So this could be you retired or someone, your boss retired, or you moved or your children leave for college or, you know, move across town. I actually coached a woman who's 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 children were moving to the West coast and she was having a very hard time And she was grieving that it could be, you know, your body doesn't work the way it used to. I'm, I'm working now in the capacity of helping senior citizens with home care. And so they are grieving their independence and life as they once knew it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's, all kinds of things that you could be grieving, and we don't identify it as grief. Let's just talk about the pandemic, for heaven's sakes. When we were on lockdown, the way that we were used to living life, we we were grieved and mourned that. We weren't able to do that. And so that was worthy of grief. And so here we are on the other side of this, and we find that the world doesn't seem to be as kind. People are rude. People are impatient. People are angry. People are at War people are meaner. And if we take a look at the root cause, I would say it's unresolved grief. Yeah. That's been not been dealt with and that has compounded over time mm-hmm. to where people just don't know what to do with this. And it I just think,
1: comes out. I think all grief can be whittled down to with loss and uncertainty. Yes when you could lose a job, you could lose, like you were saying, independence, a level of independence. You can lose a physical ability, eyesight, hearing. Yes. Um, and, and you grieve those things because life is different. And you said something a few minutes ago that your friend wanted to talk to the woman you had been before your son. Nobody's the same after no. they go through something like that. No,
0: life can never return back to the way it was ever. Yeah. And that is something worth grieving. If you've gone through anything and, but, but the thing is, if you, if you step back from grief or any situation life for any of us, even in good times can never be what it was yesterday. So we are all supposed to be growing and evolving and changing, but none of us want to, because change is scary. It is. And I think as life does change, Maybe our normal
1: response is to just like catch it and then try to roll with it rather than slow down, take a look. Do I need to grieve anything? Do I need to add resources? Do I need to add some solutions here? What do I need when my life has changed and to some degree, whatever that degree might be that's causing you then stress or anxiety about.
0: There's a balance that, you know, take the time, make the space do the work, but be willing to go with the flow, knowing that life does change. Because if you are rigid, like we were talking earlier, well, you know, there's so many people that I meet. If I can't have my loved one back, that's all I want. And I'm so, I'm never going to be happy again. You've made that declaration Mm -hmm. and I can't help you then. I cannot, I cannot help anyone in that space because they've already made their declaration. I will never be happy again because I can't have that person back. Loss and
1: uncertainty about your future collapses so many areas of your life. If you were speaking to someone who's trying to make sense of life, how can you give them courage to step out in love in this season or the next season of their life?
0: You're not done. Your chapter does not end with that it's There was not a period there. There was a comma, okay? There is a comma or a next chapter, and you get to write that. So do you want to be the victim of your life story, or do you want to be the heroine or hero of your life story? You get to choose that. And to me, I'm a woman who lost her son. I am not Sherry Dunlevy, grieving mom. I never identify as a grieving mom. I lost my son, and I have grieved my son, and I miss my son. And yes, I wish that he was here, but I am so much more than that. And God didn't put in a period at the end of my life. He put a period at the end of my son's. And there's a lot of lessons that I've learned from death as a result of that. You know, and so if he didn't put a period at the end of mine, I don't want to get to the end of my life when I'm facing God and him say, Sherry, so, you know, I keep you 50 years after Brandon died. What did you do with it? What do you expect me to do with it, God? I rolled up in a ball and I was bitter and I was angry. How dare you take my son? Or I could say to him, God, God. I tried to help as many people that were in my situation as possible. I tried to encourage them to live their lives because I just feel that all of us can make an impact and we can make a difference in the life of other people. And that can either be a positive impact or a negative impact. And I want my life to be a positive impact. I don't want Brandon to have died in vain. I don't want two lives to have ended when my son died. I just feel like God was calling me to more and I had to get back up. <laughs> you know, so graduating grief is like figurative and literally like graduating to the next chapter of life, but also gradual, gradually getting up, graduating from the the being in a heap in the darkness in a puddle on the floor to rising to the light and standing up again and moving forward. I don't know that anybody purposely wants to be known for their
1: grief but that was really one of the things that I that motivated me to seek healing, to dig into God, to ask the hard questions, to really be transparent with God because I did not want to be known for my grief and I think yes. that might be a tripping point for a lot of people. Maybe they don't know how to get out of it. I don't know. But it sounds like you've got a lot of resources and tools that can help somebody move through that. What You spoke a minute ago about joy. I think it was joy you said specifically, but it made me think of joy. And do you think some people feel guilty when they have moments of happiness? And how mm-hmm. do we encourage somebody to move forward in joy? Like, how do we see it? And then we're like, oh, let's have more of that in your life.
0: Well, I think that that's part of living, and being joy filled i mean that's what we should be as christians right <laughs> we should be filled with joy and so we have to return to that joy and i don't i think that there's there's always that period like how could i be especially during the holiday season right how can i be happy when my dad's not here he's not my dad loved christmas you know but you find that way to honor that person in some way and that can return to the joy. I don't I think that we have to be brave enough to write our own permission slip for that. I always tell people until you can write your own permission slip, I'm granting you the permission that it's okay to experience joy. It's almost like you start laughing and, and enjoying and then you, oh my gosh, how dare I do that when they can't experience this. You know, but we're still alive. We're still alive. And there are people that I mean, and I know that when you're in the throes of grief, the last thing you're thinking of is being an example to other people. But other people are watching you. Other people are watching you, whether it's your children or your community or whatnot. And I think that sometimes they're watching you to see if it's going to be okay. You know, that's what I really worried about. I had a three year old son when Brandon died. And I was very conscientious of of what he saw in his life, because the last thing I wanted was his earliest memories of his mom to be constantly grieving and that there was nothing that this little soul could do. It wasn't his responsibility to bring me joy. It was my responsibility to find my joy again and 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 allow him to see that you can have it and it and it's not going to you know, harm other people. So, you know, I I think I was cognizant back then of that, but not everybody is, but I want you to know, and I don't expect you to to think that, you know, in the depths of your grief, that you have to be this prime example. I just want you to know that people are watching. People are watching because they're scared and they want to see if you get through it, that maybe if something like that happened to them, they can too, or if you fall apart, I saw a woman, like as a reporter, she lost her daughter in a flood. And like four years later, I reported on a story where a woman's body was found on the banks of the river. Well, it was that woman where they had pulled her daughter's body out. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember when Brandon died, she came to my mind and I thought, I cannot be her. I cannot, I will not be her. Right. So, People are watching, even though you don't think they're watching. And I never thought that I was watching her, right? Mm-hmm. But it still came into my world. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're taking this all in. And, and that's why I say people can either help you become who you want to become or be the example of who you don't want to become. People who've walked on this side of grief understand that
1: grief is very messy, It is Mm. not nice and tidy Mm. and clean. It is very messy. And I think that makes people, a lot of people uncomfortable, but they are watching to see how you're going to realistically walk that out. So I think it's good to be transparent, authentic about your struggle, but definitely I would strive, I strived to not get caught there, to not get stuck in that pattern. Cause my whole thing with, with what I would tell people and my listeners know this is that, you know. No one can rush the process of grieving and trying to work out all these heavy things that you're trying to come to terms with. But in that, please don't miss the opportunity to heal because you can start getting into the cycle of running it over and over and over again. And even that the Lord spoke into my spirit one time, Sherry, some things simply belong to me. And in that, it let me know that he's in control. It reminded me of that and that I just laid down that struggle because, again, what I really wanted was my husband back. I wasn't going to get him back whatever God's answer was, was not going to be enough. It was the next target that I'd have to argue with him and to hang on to and to focus on. And so I just laid it down. I just stopped. And so that's where I began to listen. I began to hear what God had to say. And that's when my healing began. And so as I'm thinking about that, there is a certain amount of processing and grieving and asking the tough, painful questions and wrestling with what your life was supposed to look like. And yet isolating is Satan's playground. Is there a way for a friend to be able to determine if their loved one is isolating in an unhealthy way? And if so, can we do anything about that? Can we move them in a more healthy direction?
0: Unfortunately, we can't force anyone to do anything against their will. Okay, so that's the unfortunate part. We can keep an eye on them. I love this phrase, Sherry. Do you want to hear what you want to hear or do you want to hear what you need to hear? (laughs) Because what I think you need to hear right now is that you need some help. And you can always preface it. I am saying this out of love. I am saying this out of love. But see what happens is sometimes anger replaces sadness because anger is an easier emotion. People would rather be around an angry person than a grieving person. A lot of times I think because they can just get angry right back and they can leave right? And it's easy Um, sitting in the mess with someone that's hard. That's excruciating. And if you can just be that kind of friend that maybe doesn't have to say a dang word, but you can sit there and let them wail and let them cry and let them tell their story. And, you know, grieving people need to process and tell their story over and over and over again to a point there's a time where you can get married to that story, and then that story becomes your identity. So you might be saying, you know, after two and a half years, you know, and then there's no timeline because grief is individual, right? Yeah. But if you know this person had this, this just is so not them as a friend, you know, when this is terribly unhealthy for that person, not for you, you know, not your discomfort with their grief, yeah. but detrimental to the life and the person you know they are that's when i think you you can offer and all you can do is offer all you can do is offer and i always tell people because I always say, would you call my aunt? Would you call my mom? which I, I will not. I will not call anybody. They can call me. They can go to my website. They can go to my Facebook join my Facebook group. but it has to be your choice. And everything that you've said, Sherry, it has been a choice or a decision, right? Yeah. All of us have to make that. And the good news is is that you can make that choice or decision at any time to heal at any time. So even if it's 15 years down the road, yeah. you could still make that choice. I find
1: that if we don't face our grief, if we don't process it, it will wait for you. And oh. then when you decide to engage it, it's as if it just happened.
0: Yeah. Well, let me tell you a, a story about that. Because even though you think you might have handled it, your body will hold on to it. It, it lives with you. See, because grief isn't just a mind or a heart thing. It's a whole body experience. It's physical, it's emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual. And so I was telling you that I was very conscientious of how I grieved in front of my son. And so consequently, I didn't grieve very often. I had never even had that deep guttural cry cry and sobbing right never even had that and a year after my son died on mother's day to boot i sneezed in my sleep and a disc exploded in my back oh my gosh and i think and i've had people tell me that grieving mothers hold on to their pain in their lower backs it makes sense because the body does hold on to all that trauma the body will hold on to it and it and so grieving people they get sick more often, their immune systems are are lowered. There are a lot of things that can happen to you if you do not process this, mm. but we don't ever connect the dots. Yeah. Life keeps coming at you and you just
1: mm-hmm. trying to handle it, trying to take it on, trying to process it. Here's something that I think is one of the hardest aspects of caring well for someone as they move through a season of loss. And that is when it's long term, such as cancer, people begin to drop away because they feel like they can't make a difference. They don't know what to say. Do you have any advice for someone on how to love
0: well when the uncertainty goes on and on? Your job isn't to fix it for them. We can't fix it for them. They're already going to professionals who are trying to fix it for them. They what they need is a friend to treat them as the person that they've always been, to for dignity, to maintain their dignity and and respect and wholeness in other ways. You know, one part of their body may be failing, but they are still the same person, and that is the sign of a true friend. It's not about you, unfortunately. <laughs> it's about loving others as we were instructed to do. And there is, there's is a blessing and a lesson for you as well when you come out of this. And the only thing I'm saying is that you're going to, you know, get better at it. Well, you're just going to get better at it. That's the only thing that I can say, uh, you know, check in on them and, and don't abandon them. And, and I always say, you know, sometimes people will push you away and I get that some people and you respect their space, but I would just make it clear. I'm still going to check on you. I'm going to be calling you anyhow. You don't have to talk to me, but I'm going to leave you a message and I am going to check you. It may be the point that you know, if someone pushes you away, there's nothing you can do about it. You can try to revisit. And and sometimes relationships do end because of that. But you can at least live with yourself knowing that you did everything within your power to love them well.
1: I like your point, though, that you're making because it sounds like take focus off yourself because you feel like you're being inadequate. You feel like things are uh, weird and complicated or mm-hmm. just uncomfortable. But that's really not where the focus needs to be. It just needs to be on meeting them where they're at, and right. if that means sitting with them and just being present. Because, to be honest with you, that was one of the things that surprised me about God was the strength of His presence, and that's really. The only thing that I ask for now is God's presence when things are tough or I'm having a a moment of grief or whatever, but no one can reach that pain. No one, no one's going to be able to bring your loved one back or to give your job back or to give your independence back. So someone's presence is really a beautiful gift.
0: It's the best. And out of all the responses that I got from my book, there were two overarching responses of what really truly made a difference. The first one was prayer. Prayer, it was almost unanimous. It wasn't quite unanimous, but it was almost unanimous. People felt, one woman said the prayers were palpable. Another woman who had terminal cancer and eventually died said those were the things that that gave her strength to get up each day, each morning. She, she literally felt a, a, a support. When she was at her weakest, she felt support to get her up and get her through the day. Another woman said that it just the thought every time that she would think about the people who would, she said, I would just think about like when someone say, I pray for you, she goes, I would think about that person stopping at some point in their day. And they were thinking about me and what I was going through. And they were praying on my behalf. She said, it just Touched me in a way that I can't even tell you. And she was crying when she was telling me this. So prayer is very important. The other thing, 100% of the people said, be there. Be there. You don't have to do anything. You can't fix it. So we've taken that, we've taken the stress off of you. There's nothing you can do and say that's going to fix it. Okay? So don't be looking for the perfect words. Don't be looking for the perfect thing because there is none. It does not exist. But that's not what people need. People just need you to be there, just to be there, just to show up for them. When
1: is the best time to come alongside someone early on or when everyone else fades
0: away? Do you give them some space and then check on them? When's the best time? If you have the inkling that I need to reach out to that person, (laughs) reach out to that person. It's so funny because I always go, oh, I think I need to give them a little bit of space. But then I pause and I go, no. They might need to hear from me now. I don't know. If they want to hear from you, they'll answer the phone if if they're able. And if not, at the very least, they're going to hear your voice on the voicemail, offering them some words of comfort immediately. So I always tell people, you know, reach out. And what's so funny is that when I do call, it's amazing how many people pick up the phone immediately because they needed someone to talk to. And there was just no one there, right? So I was that person for them. But that time that you're hesitating, is it right or it's wrong? Go do it anyway. That's that's, that's why you got that inkling, so do it anyway. I always tell people, if they don't answer the phone and you leave them a voicemail, tell them you'll call them back and call them back. (laughs) Call them back. Don't leave it up to them to call you back. They are, they are so busy. I, my When my father died, he was in a university hospital two hours away in another state. So I had to get my mom packed up who had been there for six weeks at my sister's house, get her packed up. My dad died at 830 in the morning. I had to drive back to my sister's house, get my mom packed up, drive her home, get all this, you know, and my phone Is ringing. All these people there hear the news. And I'm so tired because I was up all night. My dad had just died. I have not been able to even like cry for him because I can't. I have to get my mom home safely. I have to drive, right? And my girlfriend calls from Missouri after I checked my messages and she said, I know you're probably really busy right now, but I just had to call and tell you that I'm sorry, blah, 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 blah. Magic words. Do not call me back. I'll call you back later. Do not, don't even think about calling me back. And so now that I talk to audiences, now that I've been through that, those are some magic words because there is this, especially for women, I think you, you feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to call this person back and this person back and this person back. And, and you're very cognizant. Did I, was I thankful enough? Was I grateful enough? Was I appreciative enough? Did I call this person back? You're just not even thinking clearly. You're in the throes of grief. You're not, you're not thinking clearly at all. And just to hear those words that, oh, that's one thing I don't have to do. It was. It was. And reach out to them. If you get the inkling, yes, that's that's that. What the that's the God wink, right? That's the God wink. Yes, you reach out to them. If you don't, if if you don't get a hold of them, tell them you call them back. Tell them not to call you, and then call back. So I think that that was a long winded answer to that question. But really, the short answer to that is yes. All all of what you said, yes. <laughs> I
1: know that I will tell people, do not respond. Like, I'm checking on you. Don't respond. Love you. Or I will even simply send hearts or a kiss, depending on Mm -hmm. either family or just a text message with a couple of hearts and a kiss every other day, every day, whatever. So I'm not asking to have a conversation with you. I'm just sending you a little signal that I'm thinking of you and that I love you. Yes. So, So I do that. That's one of the things. Knowing what you've said, because you can't call everybody back. You don't have the energy to call everybody back. You don't have the brain width or is that the right word, to think about having conversations with people. When You're looking at the initial fallout of an event, whether it's the loss of a loved one or you have been told you no longer have a job. Do you think there's some wisdom in looking at your relationship with the person, whether you're family, whether you're inner circle, whether you're outer circle, whether you're just a job employee? Do you think any of those roles can dictate what someone can say when they're trying to make an initial contact, but yet don't want to be awkward or
0: weird about it? Right. If I'm not, you know... If I'm not super close to that person, you know, that's where cards come in. You know, a card with a nice note is a wonderful way to reach out to an acquaintance or someone that you're not in their inner circle, right? Because you can't, like, you want to show your care and concern for someone. You don't want to be intrusive. I don't want to take a greater space into your life than what it, I am to you, right? And that's where I think that cards and time can kind of dictate that. Uh, a text or a Facebook message or something like that. Just, you know, it's been a week or two and Hey, you keep popping into my mind. You just keep popping into my mind. If you're ever feeling better and you want to go out for a cup of coffee, I'd I'd love to, I'd love to do that, you know, just, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Like I would feel really weird if this Facebook friend just, you know, wanted to, uh, I, I just would. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I did reach out to a woman here Recently, who lost her
1: husband? Okay, cancer, and we hadn't seen each other in years. Facebook is how we stay connected, but we did have a relationship many years ago when our children were in school together. And so, after a little bit, couple of months, I reached out to her and just said, "Hey, would you like to go grab a cup of coffee? Do you want to talk about anything?" And she received that. She welcomed that, and we went out. And yes, I just let her say what she needed to say, and because I'm not uncomfortable with that com- that kind of conversation now. And and so it was really nice.
0: And you have. gave her a gift because most people probably are. So see, that's why I'm saying angels come out of the woodwork. So you were her angel that came out of the woodwork for her. And I had the same thing. I had other parents who had lost children that had reached out to me as well. Because you know why? Um, our stories aren't the same, but you are initiated into a club that you never wanted to have membership in. But the only saving grace to that is that there are other members in there,
1: yeah, we show people grace because who knows what to this kind of what we're talking about. who knows what to say. No one knows how to master this area of life, But what is one thing that you know that you will never say to someone who goes
0: through some
1: sort sort of grief or loss?
0: well, in my in my book, I say, I have tips that are helpful. And then I say tips that are not so helpful. And the reason that I say not so helpful is because I don't want to say right or wrong. In my opinion, and I may, I state this in the book, in my opinion, it's better to step out awkwardly and fumble a bit than it is to not step out at all. And I give this example of this gentleman that I was a work colleague. It was a very young man. And I think he knew that you were supposed to give, you know, that flowers or plants or something, you know, like that's what you do when someone dies. Right. But the problem was I didn't have a viewing for my son. I only had a funeral. And so as we're leaving the church and getting into the limousine, this young man comes up and he hands me a potted plant. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to do with this? But I sat with the plant and took it, you know. And and so if you look at that, was that the right thing to do? No. But, but, right, did I feel loved and supported and did I feel like he cared for me? Absolutely. This is why I tell the story 20, 24 years after the day. This guy really didn't know what to do, but he was honest enough and, and willing to do something awkward and out of character for him in order to bring me comfort. So this is what I tell grievers. People are going to be bad before they're good. And we've got to give them the grace. You've got to look at their heart. Did they really mean to say that to tick you off? Mm-hmm. Or did they just say that because they don't know? They're bad before they're good. So we, I love that you say that because we do need to extend grace. And so that being said, I will always try to go to the viewing if there is one, because for some reason, grieving people can't tell you who were there, but they can tell you who's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will never say they're better off in a better place. Yeah. Even even the most devout Christian person, and like, I don't, I don't want to say this to be blasphemous in any way, but I, it's, it wasn't as much comfort to know that my son was in Jesus's arms when I wanted him to be in mine for a while. Right? You know, that's where it gets messy. Yeah, because that's an opposite. yeah, yeah, right. Like I'm, I'm. So glad that he is. I have this picture of Jesus holding an infant baby, and it brings me so much comfort. But darn it, I wanted to have my time too. Yeah. Right. And so I won't ever say that they're better off. I won't say, I know how you feel. You can't possibly know how you feel. You know, you lost a husband, someone else lost a husband. You might have had a wonderful relationship with your husband, their husband might have been a real, "Mm." but yet they're still grieving and you can't compare the two. You cannot compare the two. You lost a husband. I lost a dad. My brother lost a dad and my sister lost a dad and we all lost a different person. So we can't say, I know how you feel. And then finally, if there's anything I can do, please let me know. (laughs) I do help people rephrase that. I always tell them, Give them, th- give them three choices of something you're willing to do for them and let them choose from that. And if they don't choose anything, you know, call back in a couple of weeks and offer the same three things or three other things, but make them things you're willing to do. Because I always tell people, if you have traditional family roles and, you know, the wife takes care of the inside of the house, the husband takes care of the outside of the house, the wife's probably not even going to realize that the leaves need raked this time of year because she never did it. Right. So she's not going to say, Oh, I need those those leaves raked up, or I need that snow shoveled off my driveway, or I need the grass cut, because she's not even she never even had to worry about that. But then two weeks later, oh my gosh, who am I going to get to cut the grass? And the probably the probability of of creepers really asking you for anything is, you know, you're leaving it in their hands and they have enough on their plates already. And the other thing is I think what, why that phrase is not so helpful is I've had a number of people tell me that they feel it's very disingenuine, that that's just something that people say, so they don't have to do anything at all. So
1: I caught myself saying that a couple of times here recently, because we've had loss on my extended family. And so I caught myself saying that on two occasions. And I thought, why am I saying that? Yeah. I, all people know that is the least helpful thing that you can <laughs> say anything to anybody who's going through that situation. But then I got to thinking, I was like, you know, we're not close enough for me to say that because I don't really know what they need. I don't know what to offer. What would I realistically do? Our schedules are completely different. So I kind of had to evaluate, why would I say that to to somebody when I know it's disingenuous? One of the things that I, and I have said this before, before I lost my husband, was God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I I received it with grace because again, what do people know what to say? They're just trying to fill the empty void, they're trying to smooth the situation. But I never felt any comfort. I never felt any, what do you want to say, healing from that? But what God showed me was that He doesn't allow anything He doesn't plan to redeem. And redemption can look differently, but He always takes Mm -hmm. what satan meant to destroy you with and shut you up and have you in that ball on the floor and not live a life that god has for you and the purposes that he has for you as the individual and god comes along and and turns that around and gives it purpose i look at what you're doing for people today there is purpose to your pain you understand you can have hard conversations with people and go places that other people cannot go and gain ground with someone in order to help in their healing process. So I I believe that that is redemption from your pain, part of it anyway. I know God is a, a much bigger, broader idea of redemption, but looking, listening to you today, looking at your book, things like that, like to me, I'm getting a glimpse of a portion of your redemption story. Do you feel that God is able to turn around things like that and use them for beauty and purposes that are beyond your imagination to even give? Pain like that of validity.
0: Yes, ab- absolutely. I always say, you know, this was not me. This came through me. This was not me. This was not Sherry. This was God using Sherry as a vessel. <laughs> Right. So any time that someone says this helped me or you helped me help someone, I always tell people that, you know, it gave me my life back. And so if I can give anyone a glimmer of hope, I that's what I want people to know is this does not have to be the end of your story. God has so much ahead of you. If you will be willing to move through this, to journey through this, and learn and 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 glean what He has for you through this, and it's hard. It's the hard. It's the hardest thing ever, is it not? Yeah. But here's the thing: <laughs> everyone is eventually going to go through something like this. Everyone's going to have a journey like this. At the beginning, I thought, okay, well, God gave me the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being is losing a child. So in the hierarchy of grief or whatnot. So I'm good, you know, like I can get through anything, but. (laughs) It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be other chapters that will knock you down and knock you over. And it's not like you're free and clear and sail the rest of your life. You know, life is full of ups and downs and, and lessons and growth, and that's what it's all about. And no one gets through it unscathed. And so if you can just keep that in mind, but there's the promise at the end, I always say the light always dispels the darkness. So you've just got to keep your eye focused on the light and it's always there. I mean, it's rainy and dark and dreary here, but if I got in an airplane right now and I went up in the air, there is the light.
1: There is the light. That's interesting that not yeah. only do we spell our names the same and we have a lot of similarities, but the example you just used is one that I use often, the, the yeah. difference between our reality and the truth, because the reality can be a storm, yes. but if you go up through those clouds, the sun's shining and it's beautiful right. above that storm. Well, we're getting close to the end here. So I have only a couple of more questions for you. What do you think someone needs to have the courage to surrender in order to heal from grief?
0: Oh. I think they need to surrender (laughs) their thought of what they thought life should, should be their version of what they thought their life should be. I thought my life was going to be a family of four, right? And it was a family of three. This isn't how it should be. And that little that little thing trips me up throughout life. I've realized that that is that is the thing that God wants me to work on the most. I mean, I just my husband and I, for our 30th anniversary, went to Europe, and I got sick on the trip. It's not how it should have been, right? right. Our flight home got canceled twice. We couldn't find a room. This is not how it should be. This is not how it should end. When you stay connected to that, this is not how it should be. That's where your pain and suffering comes in. That's how your pain and suffering. This is what it is. We have to learn how to find our joy within how life is as it is. There is room for pain and there's room for joy. It's in the and.
1: It's interesting how they can coexist
0: in life. We, yeah, we want to live within a black and white world, either or, right? And if I can't have my way, then I'm not going to be happy. And I, you know, like I preach this to other people, but I find myself in the same predicament in just different instances of my life. But at least now I've grown enough to recognize this. There's always going to be pain and suffering in the world, Sherry, always. And we're always going to have instances where we're going to be, it's going to happen to us. And we're going to feel that Um, where our growth comes in is that before it took me years to move through it. And now sometimes it's just a week or two or a couple of days or a couple of hours or a couple of minutes until I can course correct and go, Oh, that's right. God, I have to find my joy in the and, (laughs) How beautiful, though, the power of the and Mm -hmm.
1: to look at life from a different angle, because with God, again, he doesn't allow anything. He doesn't plan to redeem. And I have said this before. If you find your life looking like a pile of rubble and ash and dirt, dirt in the right hands is new life in the making.
0: Things can grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah and as christians god god resurrects recreates creates second to the last question that i have for you is there anything that i have not asked you about
0: that you want to make sure that you share before we close i think we've had a pretty profound conversation and a lot of a lot of thinking points for people i you know i think we've pretty much covered all the bases i've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and then
1: my final question, if our listeners only remember one thing about how to care for someone who's going through a season of grief, loss, uncertainty, what is that one thing that they need to remember? Step
0: out in love. It
1: Changes everything. To know you're not alone. Right. Sherry, you've been amazing i have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation i cannot wait to share it with my listeners thank you so much
0: oh as have i thank you very it's it's the ie magic in the ie <laughs> you're exactly right <laughs>